Hey everybody, welcome to The Buzz, your entertainment podcast with Scott Tatey and Megan Miller. This is the morning after the Penguins triumph, so this is the bleary-eyed, uh, very little sleep, but feeling pretty good episode of The Buzz. Yes, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, it was a, I hear it was an exciting night um, in <laughs> Pittsburgh and in Nashville. Uh, you're a little more bleary-eyed than I am. Yeah, the television coverage was going on to like 1 a.m. Uh, it was fun. They were showing the South Side, and uh, it looked like a, a good party. I, I didn't see anyone too rowdy, and everyone was in the streets. And, uh, you know, it's just a special time when, when Pittsburgh wins a championship. Just the whole city comes together, and, uh, you know, our newspaper will have the information once they announce the parade route and everything. But, uh, yeah, it's a great time for us fans. And did you see how crowded – uh, PBG Paints Arena got where they weren't even playing there. I mean, it got sold out, and then they had the outdoor uh, screen and everything. So yeah, it just I, it just seemed like a very uh, vibrant night in the city last night. Uh, yep, ten dollars a ticket. That place sold out, and uh, we'll see if Holland Oats can sell it out this Tuesday. Yeah, I'm wondering. I've heard they've been doing some uh, specials on tickets and whatnot, but um, the last time they play here, played here, they were at Stage AE, right? The last two times. So they're making a big jump. You could see how the first time they were back, first time in years doing Pittsburgh, that would sell out instantly, and it did. And then they returned a couple years later to Stage AE. Now I'm wondering if they'll be able to do the 13,000, 14,000 or so. I think they will. I mean, come on. Hollow Notes, they have a zillion hits. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Now, I remember or I think I remember at least, the one time they were at Stage AE, you just panned the crowd. Both like times. how uh, Both times, yes. how awful the crowd was. And I'm thinking, well, it's not teenagers on Snapchat that are going to these concerts, so what's the problem? It's uh, groups of people in their, I don't know what age you want to say, 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, you know, probably 40s mostly. And uh, the thing with Stage AE when you're outdoors, you're not in a seat, so you can kind of stand in a pack of people and there was just so much of that, people talking, yakking during the songs and getting kind of sloppy drunk. Uh, I've, I've seen it at other shows like Avid Brothers that, that goes on. It's interesting, the dynamic. But then you'll go see 21 Pilots at Stage A, and the fans are wonderful. You know what I mean? So, And they're, they're all younger, and they're in their 20s. So I don't know. Maybe it was an aberration. Uh, we'll see. Uh, maybe Hall & Oates needs the bigger uh, seat, uh, seated arena so maybe people can behave a little bit more. I think the seated arena will curb some of that because you usually like in an outdoor show, especially AE where there aren't seats, there's a lot of, it's almost like the concert is background, like right. background music, background noise a little bit. But when you're at something like PBG Paints, you're there focused on the concert. You really can't hear anything. Like if someone talks to, says something sitting next to you, you can barely hear it because it's so loud in there. <laughs> so that kind of, Cuts out the uh, some of the mindless conversation. I think that's the case. There are people at Hollow Notes. Oh, I like I like a couple other songs. Yeah, let's go. Let's have some beers. Let's hang out. But uh, and a show we'll be talking about later in this podcast is the exact opposite of Tom Petty. Great crowd for that, and an older crowd there. But they were there for the music, and uh, so it, it, a lot of it depends on you know. But it, it impacts your enjoyment of the show. You know, if, if the fans are being. Uh, annoying, it kind of makes it hard to really get into a show, I, I think, and that's one of those intangibles, but it's just the way it is. And you'll report back next week how the show was, I right? will, I will. Oh, and right. I'm happy Tears for Fears is the opening act. I've never seen them, uh, man, I can't remember the last time they played Pittsburgh. I, I did an interview with Kurt Smith of the duo, and uh, you know they had the great songs back in the 80s too, Shout, and Everyone Wants to Rule the World, and Sowing the Seeds of Love, so that's an opening act set I'm really excited about, and uh, you know, Hall of Notes, I mean, come on, so many great songs, and uh, 
you know, Daryl and John are just a musical legacy. He's been around since the early 70s. I'm, I'm a big fan of Daryl's TV show, Live at Daryl's, where he oh, yeah. kind of brings guest musicians and they, they jam and eat food. And uh, so uh, definitely looking forward to it. And fingers crossed it'll be a good, good crowd. And what else is going on this but week concert-wise? That same night, Elvis Costello is at Heinz Hall. And uh, I, I think there are some tickets left for that. So I remember this was a postponed show. Elvis was playing here last November or so when the Pittsburgh Symphony was still on strike. So he, and he didn't want to cross the picket line. He did not. Give him credit for that. So he uh, postponed the show. But, uh, of course, the strike was settled, and uh, he, he's coming back. And uh, I looked at the set list there, and it's pretty awesome. And Elvis is a great live act. Uh, he, he just uh, he puts a lot of energy and excitement in it. And uh, he has that wry sense of humor. And uh, you, you can't go wrong with that. So two Tuesday, all kinds of good music in the city of Pittsburgh. And on Wednesday, a show I'm really excited for, the Little Mer- or Disney's The Little Mermaid uh, returns to Pittsburgh um, at the Benetton Center for almost two weeks. I read your article on that. Uh, I thought the, the which you interviewed uh, Flounder. Flounder. <laughs> Connor Russell. He's actually a Point Park uh, graduate. Uh, Seattle native, came to Point Park for... Um, School loved Pittsburgh. He had so many great things to say about the city, and now he is um, in New York. But he is on tour as Flounder, and <laughs> it it was just it was a really good conversation um, that we had. And he uh, spoke so highly of the show and of Pittsburgh. And um, did him and Sebastian get along? They're both uh, besties of Ariel, but Sebastian's <laughs> a little salty, so I don't know. Uh. But um, but yeah, I mean it. It's based on the beloved movie, uh, The Little Mermaid, I uh, naturally, uh, but it adds more than the movie. There are extra songs. Uh, Flounder has an extra song um, that the movie doesn't have. So it's just, it's really cool because there's a lot of flying to simulate like swimming under the sea. And he actually told me a cute story of there was a little girl that um, saw the show. She was like five years old. And then after um, they wanted to bring her on stage to meet the cast and she was afraid she was going to get wet. So she thought, like, so they pulled it off that they were, you know, under the sea. So I just thought that was an adorable story. And the cast all, you know, ate that up and loved it and everything. But, but yeah, so it's uh, the classic, you know, on stage. I saw it a couple years ago when it was here, and it does not disappoint. I saw the movie in theaters. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would have or not. But it was, it's one of my, that Beauty and the Beast and the Lion King are my trifecta of Disney movies. So... Absolute classics. And I've seen all three on stage, and they're all fantastic. So that's uh, playing. It opens Wednesday um, at the Benenum, and it runs through June 25th. Highly recommended. Yes, and then um, the next night on Thursday, Dead & Company returns to Pittsburgh. With some guitarist named John Mayer sitting in again, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I missed last year's show because it was the same night as Justin Bieber. been kicking myself for about a year about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Now uh, you can make it right. And the, the thing with the Dead show, you don't know the set list ahead of time. They're just going to improvise whatever they feel like playing. And uh, it's a neat matchup because John Mayer, I, I think people sometimes lose sight of what a great guitar picker he is. And uh He's a big fan. I got to sit in on an interview with uh, him and the band at a teleconference last year, and he's just so passionate about playing these Grateful Dead songs, talking about growing up in Connecticut, and when he first got into it and started hearing this music, just it kind of blew him away. And now he's on stage with, with Bob Weir and, and the guys from the band. So uh, it'll be interesting. Out of Key Bank Pavilion, uh, and real quickly, that same night, though, at Stage AE, the band Sigur from Iceland. Wow. And uh, anyone who's seen them talks about just what a great ambiance, uh, just, uh, again, mind-blowing kind of show. And 
they're an interesting band because uh, it's mostly instrumental, you know, no, no vocals or anything like that, but uh, just some really trippy kind of music. So it's a good week for Pittsburgh. Last week uh, we said it was the week of the year concert-wise. There aren't as many this week, but the ones there are are pretty darn they're interesting. They're solid. Right. Like, there's a, it's a really, there aren't as many to pick from, but the ones that you do have to choose from are pretty top-notch. And then how convenient. It looks like the parade's going to be Wednesdays when I'm hearing. So oh, okay. Not, not the same night as the concert, so thank goodness it's all going to work out. Fingers crossed. <laughs> knock on wood. And we will be right back. Get ready, get set, get out this weekend. Watch every Wednesday as I, Scott Tady, give you the scoop on local entertainment and help you plan how to get out this weekend. Sponsored by Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center. A new episode premieres every Wednesday at TimesOnline.com/getout or watch them on our Beaver County Times Roku channel. Don't miss it. And we are back on The Buzz, Megan Miller and Scott Tady, and we mentioned before the break that there were so many concerts going on last week, so you ready to talk about some of them? I, I did six in a row, and uh, I'll lead up to my favorite one. might surprise you, but uh, one of them, uh, Monday night, last Monday at the Peterson Event Center, Tool, the progressive metal, alternative metal kind of band, and uh, that, that's just an intense night, because the singer, manager, James Keenan, he hides in the shadows, he was wearing some cool, like, paramilitary outfit with a helmet but you didn't get a good look at him that's he likes this mystique like yeah you don't know quite what he's all about and uh but just some face melting kind of music they they do a long uh you know progressive uh you know very talented musicians uh the backdrops the visuals were all pretty heavy and you know some sci-fi kind of elements and he had some speeches about uh whether you're from the left you know whatever your politics are don't be led by you know make your own decisions don't be uh you know mindless sheep doing whatever leaders tell you so it had the that kind of mentality is sort of a 1984 kind of thing going on. So uh, interesting show. Uh, you know, I'm not as big a fan as some of the people who are there. I mean, people who are into Tool are into it. It's one of those groups where people, were, you know, just are, are rabid about it and just love it and, and so uh, so into it. Uh, I, I can get there part of the way, but uh, at some point I, I like a little showmanship. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I like a singer where I can – See what his expressions are. See their are. music or their facial expressions. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's too much to ask. Yeah, but if you're a Tool fan and you're not bothered by that, uh, yeah, the, the, that was a good crowd. They were into the music. They were, there was no talking. There was no chatter. People weren't getting up and getting 10 beers. They were just parked at their seats and standing and, and grooving to the music. So God bless them for that. And then um, you mentioned a little of like the political undertone. There was a lot of that on Wednesday night <laughs> at U2 at Heinz Field. Expect a certain amount of that when you're going to see Bono. What did you think? Well, here's the thing. As far as the politics go, it was a little bit of a trick because I knew going in that there was going to be a lot of... I, I was curious if it was going to be more touting a certain politician or criticizing a certain politician or if it would be more of a we all need to come together and you know treat each other with respect like that kind of thing so I was curious going in what what way it would kind of lean toward but then as like the he started and you know the band started and played a few songs it was noticeably absent and I'm like oh wow we're not gonna have any politics this is fantastic and then what like song 11 it's like every other song there was a political message so it just got bogged down a little heavy uh, as far as that goes but I love the concert I thought they were great yeah Bonnet really gets you into it and then the edge just makes that that, that cool guitar sound and they, they did the the Joshua Tree album the 30th anniversary and that's you know hit after hit after hit to start the album some of the deeper cuts I hadn't heard in a long time sounded really good. Uh, I'm a big fan of like Trip Through the Wire and uh, One Tree Hill. And I think that was never played live before right. uh, this tour because a few people I saw posted online that, you know, I waited 30 years to see this live and it didn't disappoint. And I 
thought that was interesting because that's the one nice thing about um, when these when bands play their albums in their entirety. There are a lot of songs that you don't get to hear live because they're deeper on the album or they're not hits or they just don't have time in the set. It started out great. They they did Pride. They they did a New Year's Day. Uh, uh, Bad is, is a very heavy, intense, but, but beautiful song. Everyone had their cell phones lit for that. So, uh, of course, Sunday Bloody Sunday to start it. I like how uh, that, that had a one by one the band members came out to that drum cadence that famous Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah, I did like how they all came out. There just wasn't a lot of like spectacle. They just appeared on stage and. I this was my third concert in nine days where I saw a band play an album in its entirety <laughs> and I liked how they handled it the best as far as they played a couple of non-Joshua Tree songs and then it was clear that they were starting Joshua Tree. Then mm. they played Joshua Tree, they flipped, you know, they did the record flip halfway through and then they finished it and then came out for an encore of non-Joshua Tree hits. So or mostly hits. Uh, so I really liked how they handled that because I always wonder, especially a band of U2 stature, like they have a bunch of other songs that aren't on that album. How are they going to handle playing those? Let's face it, there aren't many rock bands that have that stature to play stadiums anymore. No, uh, it's our only stadium of uh, show of the summer. Outside of Metallica, who's skipping Pittsburgh. Yeah, so uh, U2 still has that. They still have that magical, you, you feel like you, you get caught up, you get swept up in, in the whole, uh, you, you know, the passion for the music and everything. And how about a shout out to the opening act, the Lumineers. That, I knew they'd be good, but the, they exceeded my expectations. They were almost my love for this week <laughs> um, on the podcast because they were fantastic. Um, I saw them back in March as headline at the P in Oakland and I love them I walked away like I couldn't believe how good they actually were and I was curious what it would be like when they were kind of on someone else's turf as the opener and I don't even want to say they didn't disappoint because I feel like that doesn't do it justice I mean it was just it was just an amazing opening set it's all you could have asked for for an opener where people weren't there to see them and I thought they handled the size of the stadium extremely well because I mean there were more people there than there were for their headliner yeah and they handled that size not with any tricks any you know huge inflatables are running through the crowd they or don't doing, need them it just was uh well the percussion was awesome but just just the music just sounded so good and big and and they weren't trying to overreach they weren't uh you know like i said running around and, and jumping around they, they stayed in their, their tight little area but just just rocked out and, and the singer had some interesting setups for some of the songs but uh yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. I, I've seen them a couple times before, but that was the best. Yeah, they. I can't decide if I liked them better in March or uh, last week. I. It was just different because one time they were an opener and one time they were a headliner. But they really, I mean, anyone who is on the fence about seeing the Lumineers, I highly recommend it. Because it's just, I mean, your foot does not sit still for the entire time yes. they're on stage. You just kind of like tap along. And I liked because... Um, it was mostly seated at that point, so I got to sit through all of the Lumineers, which was kind of nice because especially, you know, for the opener, if you're able to sit, that's always a plus. But, you know, on the last song, you know, Wesley had said, hey, you know, can everybody get up? And everybody obliged, and, I mean, that was good and everything, but... So I remember in 2011, the opening act for U2 at Heinz Field was the, was the band Interpol, and they have, they were, people really like them, very indie kind of club band uh, I thought it'd be a great night but they, they never connected as talented as they are as good as their songs are they just did not connect with the audience and I don't know what it is Lumineer is very much connected yeah and 
I feel like a lot of people, the name is recognizable. Um, I always, is it Ho-Hey or Hey-Ho? Uh, Ho-Hey. Okay, Hey-Ho would sound better in my opinion. Yeah. It is Ho-Hey. Okay, I always just, I always psych myself out when I like start to say the song title and then I can't remember which way it goes. But um, a lot of people know that song if they're not even familiar with the Lumineers. But the thing, and I know we've criticized this before at other concerts, especially stadium size. I feel like if you're playing at Heinz Field or PNC Park or this giant arena or, or giant stadium you need a good opening act i know people are going for the main um headliner but you still need a really strong opening act and i know in past years taylor swift has had some questionable ones austin mahone um yeah ed sheeran was but ed sheeran yeah. was a top-notch selection on the red tour but she's had some ones where it's like i've never heard of even uh vance joy and sean mendez i i thought she could have gone a little yeah. it's like you're taylor swift and you're headlining a stadium you can get a little bigger star power here kenny chesney always does a pretty good job with getting you know some people you haven't heard of but then some people that you have too so like last last time they were here uh, or, he, or he was here miranda lambert co or, um was the main support act and that was a good choice so i really i really like that they had a good that like a important. strong opening act because it, it really like if you start off kind of like on a low momentum, it's hard to like get up to the high momentum when the band comes the, or when the headliner comes out. But the Lumineers lifted it and then it just stayed there and then accelerated when Bono came out. I remember like Guns N' Roses last year, they had Wolf Mother as the opening act. Good band, but uh, again, a band that just kind of got swallowed up by that, that large space. Uh, so yeah, the, finding a band that not only has good songs, but knows how to connect with an audience. Who knows how to connect with 30,000 people or however many we're filling in. So yeah, I definitely, I thought they were a perfect choice before I liked the choice, but then after seeing them, it's like, wow, they nailed this. My only, my only critique uh, for you two show, I thought the set list uh, I would have tweaked. It, it ended uh, with, a, with a brand new song and it was kind of like a, huh, like a down note. Uh, they could have done uh, a song like I Will Follow. Everyone was wondering if we'd hear that or Mysterious Ways is a fun, funky song. There were some choices they could have done, a Vertigo, but and with the new song, I thought everyone kind of walked out of the stadium kind of like, oh, okay, you know, we weren't on a high note. Yeah, I I don't know how I would have, how I would have felt if uh, Beautiful Day was the last one. It started the encore, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and that really, like, swelled to, a, like, mm. a, another high. And I, I don't know if I would have liked that at the very end or if I really liked it where it was at the encore. I still don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, next time Bono can call me and I'll, I'll give him my advice on set list because I'm, I'm sure he, he needs to know what I think. I'm sure he is up <laughs> at night wondering what we thought of the concert. Good show, though. It very was a good very show. good show. And then um, you saw somebody who doesn't uh, come to Pittsburgh very regularly. <laughs> show of the year at this point for really? me. Really? Show of the year. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I was just absolutely mesmerized. What a performance. This guy, he, he's in his late 50s, but almost every song he was in the crowd. And he was just like like – yearning to be to have people you know reach out and, and shake his hand and touch him his music is very dark like every song is about about death or, or, or demons or, or you know just the hardnesses of, of life and everything but he was just so much energy and so funny it's a it's gothic rock in a sense he's a very deep gothic kind of voice and he has an air of mystery about him but man it was just amazing this was in the carnegie music hall in uh, part of the carnegie museum very hot sweltering uh place everyone was packed in it was sold out and uh I was kind of wondering if I'd be able to get through the show because I, I was it was that hot, you know what I mean? But oh, uh, yeah. boy, it was Nick Cave just a 
just so much uh, persona and, and so much energy. And, and uh, at the end of the show, he brought maybe 50, 60 people on stage in his rickety old stage to sing with him and surround him. He ended them with a very positive song about, uh, you know, the power of music and everything. Uh, so just interesting. He's on um, one, uh, Stephen Colbert tonight, I believe. So if you want to get a glimpse of uh, what Nick Cave is all about, I believe it's tonight. Tune in and you'll see what I'm talking about. And then you uh, capped off your week last week with a pretty good band to cap off uh, six days in a row of concerts, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yes, sort of the flip of U2. We're uh, about a halfway through the show. I'm thinking, well, this is okay, but it's what I've seen before. You know, I'm enjoying it. But but it ended really strong, really strong ending. And that kind of was what I was looking for, uh, like, like running down a dream right before the encore. Of course, I'll, I'll give you 20 guesses what song they ended with. Tom Petty. I guessed before you even asked this question <laughs> – American Girl for 100, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's an obvious song to end with, but, but there's nothing wrong with that. But if they didn't, you we would be criticizing them that they oh. didn't end on a high note like we just did with Bono. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's like Bon Jovi. You know, like the one time they didn't end with Living on a Prayer, and I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, yeah. why aren't you ending with this song? So as much as I laugh and roll my eyes and, you know, kind of poke fun at it, that is a good choice to end things with. Oh, how many bad country uh, covers have you heard over the years of America? Oh, you might heard, as well hear the I've heard quite a few. You might as well hear the good original. But uh, this set list is really good. He did, he did some deeper songs that I really liked uh, off, off the Wildflowers album, uh, sort of about two-thirds in, but the rest of the time, it was the hit parade, everything you'd expect from Tom Petty, and uh, celebrating their 40th anniversary. Man, that's hard to believe. And uh, the opening act with Joe Walsh, and, and Joe was great too. I, I've seen him more demonstrative on guitar. He wasn't quite doing as many flashy solos as years past, but still did, again, did all his hits. And he just has that, that funny, quirky kind of personality about him. Just He says the most bizarre things. And you know, he started out, good morning, Pittsburgh. It was 8 o'clock at night, and you know, he's... He's a character. Was he trying to be funny, or was it just a slip? Uh, he, with him, you never know. But he had the line of the night. He said, I know there's some millennials in the crowd, and I apologize. I'm so sorry you had to grow up listening to your parents play my music constantly. And he said, but i got to warn you, they really, really love this next song. And it was uh, In the City. And Cindy recognized his first guitarist. Oh. Crowd went wild. So that, that was a funny line. But uh, good show. I mean, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, one thing, their sound is always just uh, impeccable. They... they they put a lot of effort into the sound. You can hear every note, uh, you know, like the keyboards aren't, aren't washed away as you often hear, or uh, the vocals, although you know all the songs, even the, the few you may not instantly recognize, you can hear every single syllable. So I think that's important. I think more bands need to do that. Focus whatever it takes to get the best sound. I don't know if it's the, the equipment, the, the sound technicians or whatever, but they, they put a lot of effort into that. And a lot of people do do it well, so like you know it can be done. I remember you mentioned uh, Mumford and Sons a few weeks ago yes. that how they had impeccable sound, and yes. that was outdoors. Yes. So, so yeah. I don't want a show where everything's garbled and you can't even hear the the violin player, the, the keyboardist, or, or you, you can't pick out some of the lyrics. Uh, you know, it's sometimes an overlooked thing, but it's so important how how it sounds. Don't. Blast it a bit. I, I want it loud, but don't to the point where I'm, I need earplugs. Not to the point where I can actually like hear my eardrum like vibrating. <laughs> yes. Like that, that's too loud. <laughs> so, all right. And are you ready for this week's love it or loathe it? Yeah. All right. Do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, I think you're fired up about something, so I'll go first, and we'll okay. kind of build the suspense here. I'm gonna do a quick love, uh, kind of break from the music theme for a minute here, and talk about. I'm, I'm loving the fact that Orange Is the New Black is back. On no Netflix. spoilers. You're further ahead than I am, so no. <laughs> I, I won't don't give anything, anything away. That I won't. But uh, it's it's always been a very dark show, and, and sometimes the violence is a little bit too much. And so far, I've seen that in the episodes I've watched. But 
I'm seeing some humor uh, resurface as well. Remember the first time it was up for an Emmy, it was in the humor category. In comedy, yeah, and you're like, what? Yeah, and, and I'm not saying it's a laugh out loud kind of thing. <laughs> There's some darkness, believe me. But There's a also lot of darkness. Some, some funny, insightful things. Uh, one very, very minor spoiler, some of the girls in, in this prison end up with cell phones, and, and they're, like, sharing pictures of themselves. And, and just their takes on social media are, are just pretty hilarious, you know. You've been away from it a while. And now you get to see what's going on on YouTube and, and Instagram. It, it's pretty darn funny. Like, they're very amused by the cat photos out there. And it's funny because in the uh, first episode, they were talking about they wanted their message out there. And they're like, how do we do this? And the one's like, oh, I heard Snapchat is something. Yeah. And, you know, it it is interesting because, you know, some of them would have been in prison before any of the social media ever cropped up. Right. So. Yeah, I only watched uh, one episode so far, and I noticed it took me a minute to get back into it because it's so long between seasons. I think, didn't the last one come out last year around yes. this time? So I think I stopped, I think I finished it in, you know, last summer. So it took me a minute. I remembered that they, so one of the guards brought a gun in. This was the end of last season, so we're not giving anything away if you're caught up. Um and at the end of the episode, uh, Dea, was that her name? Yeah. Yeah, uh, she uh, picked up the gun, and then you're like, well, that was an interesting character to pick it up because she's not overly violent or, you know, anything. And it ended there, and then when it came back, it took me a second. I knew they were at the riot, but what, I couldn't remember what caused the riot, like what, co what got them to that point. And I probably, in hindsight, should have watched the end of season four again, just to kind of, or at least like read something online to kind of familiarize myself. But I kept sitting there through the first episode, where are they gonna go after this riot is over? Like, I'm just really curious how it's gonna, like proceed for a whole, you know, season. There are so many characters. I can't think of any other show that has so many characters and they all have interesting backstories because they share them with us. And yeah, I was like you, the first time I'm watching the first episode, I'm like, wow, I forgot about her, you know? But then you're, you're kind of glad she's back. Oh yeah, I like her, you know? So it, it is a show that demands you, uh, you know, really pay attention and, and get into it. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to checking it out the rest of the way. Yeah, and there's really not a lead character. It's a very strong supporting cast, and I think it started out that way with Piper was the main character, but she kind of is getting less screen time yes. as the it goes on, and um, some of the other ones, and it, the one thing that I've always really liked about the um, series, they have the current day in prison, but each episode, or almost every episode, uh, the premiere didn't do this but it shows flashbacks of either how they got to prison or leading up to how they got to prison yeah. and I really clever. they did that a lot with Piper the original main character but they do that with all the other ones too and I, I really like that because it gives you it either makes you like them or dislike them but it gives a sense of how they got there well very very mild spoiler in, in an upcoming episode they criticized one of your favorite actors Jared Leto or saying. DiCaprio? DiCaprio. <clears throat> okay. Oh, that's hateful. <laughs> it's funny. It made me laugh. I'll be, pre I'll be prepared for it. So, all right. Well, that's a good love. I might be able to chime in next week on that. I'm hoping to get a few more episodes in before our next recording. You seem kind of fired up about something. I'm going to guess you're going to loathe. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of have to loathe myself that I'm loathing something that has to do with hockey. <laughs> but here's the thing. They... Obviously, the Pens played Nashville, uh, the Predators, in the uh, final series of the Stanley Cup Finals. And, you know, the Pens won, you know, yay and everything. But they kept showing uh, or 
at least in Nashville, they kept having a different famous singer, and it seemed like it was more famous than the last um, do the national anthem. Now, a couple weeks ago, we um, this is a very long way to long winded way to get into my loathe, but we had you had mentioned that you know Carrie Underwood might sing the national anthem because she's married. He is uh, Mike Fisher the captain. Yes, he is. Okay, she's married to the captain of the Predators, and. A lot of people have really been criticizing her during this whole thing. And I mean, she has been very vocal, very excited, you know, but her husband is the captain. And if we find Carrie Underwood threatening, like, (laughs) what's wrong with this picture if, you know, we're finding her, you know, threatening, but whatever. So, which she has been a little too vocal on some of these things, but she would have been a perfect choice to do the national anthem. And maybe she's too close to the team and that's why they didn't have her do it. But they have picked some really odd and bad choices to do the national anthem. And where you have your entire pick of Nashville, couldn't they have come up with some better people? Yeah, Dirks Bentley was a curious choice. Yeah, and, that, and that's my long-winded way to say that's my low the, of the people they chose for the national anthem. They chose two that could have done well, Martina McBride and Faith Hill. They have the voices for it. Martina McBride was kind of off-key the whole time. Flat, yeah. And Faith Hill started out okay, but she tried – she overdid it. She tried too hard to get – you know, hit high notes and be fancy. And that's a song that it's better to be boring and uneventful and nail it than to be fancy and not nail it. And that's why Pittsburgh fans love Jeff Jimerson, their singer. Uh, He's not not Faith Hill. He's not famous. He's not selling millions of records. But But he doesn't mess it up either. Exactly. He's consistent. You know what you're going to get. It's dependable. Uh, It's it's solid and, you know, right down the middle. But, yeah, I was the same way with Faith Hill – Halfway through, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. But then she started trying to be Whitney Houston and hitting some really high notes, and it was kind of making me wince. So. Yeah, the only person who can be Whitney Houston was Whitney Houston. <laughs> so, like, let's Gaga was a fantastic choice, though, at the Super Bowl. So I don't know why they didn't bus her in. <laughs> I mean, I know she's not country, but it doesn't have to be a country singer, especially when that a lot of the country voices, they just can't handle that the national anthem it's a very difficult thing to sing yeah i think they get caught up in oh they pick me it's a big honor and there's national tv audience i gotta really really hit it out of the ballpark but yeah when you're overdoing it too hard yeah, and you defeat yourself in part two of this loathe um <laughs> <laughs> never thought i'd get so fired up about hockey did you um Last night, I watched uh, Faith Hill do the national anthem, and what really irked me was at the end of her, you know, that was her moment in the sun to do the national anthem, Tim McGraw comes out and starts waving their version of the terrible towel, and it irked me, because why couldn't she have her moment? <laughs> it's a male-female thing? or I don't know. It's just, if he would have sang it, she would have stayed on the in the penalty box, or wherever, whatever <laughs> yes, it's called. Right. She would have stayed off the ice. Right. She should have had that same moment in the same respect. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's a good point. I, it was, and I'll why was her jersey, why did it say Faith and his said McGraw? I'm surprised he wasn't wearing a shirt that had their tour dates on it or something. Yeah, right? Self-promotion. So, and I, I like them both. I am very excited to see them both play Pittsburgh, and that's like their shtick, like the husband-wife, and they have a lot of, you know, songs together and everything. I just, I just didn't think it was necessary for him to come out while she was doing the na- or at the end of the national anthem. Well, as luck would have it, they'll be playing at PBG Paints Arena this yes. fall together. So we'll see how uh, Faith and Tim reference that. They have to make some kind of joke about it. I you would think. You know, I really hate when the Pens chants or Steeler chants or whatever 
sport sporting event chance start at a concert, but I kind of hope a Let's Go Pens <laughs> one starts because they'll be back in season in October. Yeah, so, so. That, well, they've got, they got plenty of time to think of a, a funny comeback. So uh, we'll see what you got, Tim and Faith. Yeah, or so, Faith and Tim. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess that'll do it for this week. I apologize for the hockey rant. I promise it's the one time a year. Uh, that you will hear me talk about sports with any kind of excitement or passion or anything. Uh, thank you for joining us. As always, you can follow along on this podcast at timesonline.com slash podcasts or on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. And covering the entertainment scene, anytime we get a hot tip on local entertainment, we tweet it. I'm, my Twitter account is at Scott Tady. I'm at Maggie E. Thanks for joining us.